0: I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. When God locks a door, it needs to be locked. When He blocks a path, it needs to be blocked. When He stuck Paul and Silas in prison, God had a plan for the prison jailer. As Paul and Silas sang, God shook the prison. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. There God goes again, blasting open the most secure doors in town. When the jailer realized what had happened, he assumed all the prisoners had escaped. He drew his sword to take his own life. When Paul told him otherwise, the jailer brought the two missionaries out and asked, What must I do to be saved? Paul told him to believe. He did. And he and all his family were baptized. The jailer washed their wounds, and Jesus washed his sins. God shut the door of the jail cell so that he could open the heart of the jailer. So, might that closed door you're facing be God's way of opening your heart? In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Leonard Blair helps us open our hearts to trust in God with a reminder to remember his promise to free us, forgive us of our sins. So, thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. How are you? Very well, thank you. Well, interestingly enough, tomorrow is National Nonprofit Day, And it's a day set aside to recognize the goals and the positive impacts that nonprofits have on communities and the world. And we have a question from Thomas from West Haven that has to do directly with this. So let me go to that question immediately now. Thomas says, I recently read this article about the Roman Catholic Diocese of Providence. And the article says, Archbishop, even the Roman Catholic Diocese of Providence is suffering from the economic fallout caused by the coronavirus pandemic. The diocese announced recently that it is permanently eliminating 10 administrative positions and has reduced the hours of other staffers due to a decline in weekly parish donations and contributions to the annual Catholic Charity Appeal. The moves are expected to save the diocese approximately $1.6 million annually. Some of the positions were eliminated through retirements. The goal of this year's charity appeal was $7.2 million by midsummer but so far it has raised about $4.2 million. Houses of worship in Rhode Island were closed for in-person services in March when the pandemic hit and reopened with limited capacity in May. Archbishop, how are donations in uh, Hartford Archbishop's annual appeal coming along?
1: Well, that's a very timely question, not just with regard to the appeal, but in general. And uh, uh, let me talk about it in general first. Um, the parishes, uh, it's mixed results. Uh-huh. Right now, We are our finance office of the Archdiocese is polling, uh, canvassing all the parishes to ask how they're doing financially. And I have to say, some parishes are doing exceptionally well, and other parishes are hurting, and uh, significantly so in some cases. And I think we'll have a better picture of that uh, within a reasonable time.
0: Those parishes that are doing well, as opposed to those that are not doing exceptionally well, do you know what they're doing to to maintain that level of, of charitable giving?
1: Well, I think uh, I'm going to speculate here because I really don't know. Uh-huh. But I suspect that parishes that have done far more outreach on the, their website and live streaming. Yeah. With, I mean, you know, there's the one situation even where the pastor has put on a little cook show online. Father May. Father May. May, yes. Father May uh, now, I'm not saying a cook show is the only thing, there have been religious things too, but that they, I think, made, been able to make more of an effort uh, to reach out to their parishioners, I think, are doing better. Uh, parishes that have arranged for online giving, online contributions, mm-hmm. I think are, are doing better. And of course, it's such a shame today if a parish does not do it because it's so easy to do. And uh, there's sometimes, you know, the myth that many of our contributors are elderly. Tend to be elderly and that they don't use computers And that's been shown not to be true that's true. Yeah. So online giving I think Is an extremely important element of this And the care and outreach you made to your parishioners So there it's a very uh, Mixed picture, some places doing Extremely well, others not so well And we continue to monitor that situation
0: How about the Archbishop's Annual Appeal like uh, For yes, instance in Providence a, That's a sad state of yeah. affairs
1: Well I can't, I mean I, I was sorry To see that too and I don't even know nationally what's going on with all kinds of dioceses. But I will say with the Archbishop's annual appeal, thank be to God and thanks to our Catholic people, including our listeners who have contributed. I'm very relieved that we're not doing so badly. At this time of the year, we are about $400,000 behind where we were last year at this point, out of a total goal of $10 million. And right now we're at about, I believe, almost $8 million. And money does continue to come in, and we're still, uh, you know, moving forward. But where we were last year at this time, we are 400,000 behind. Now, whether that will get better or worse or stay the same, I have no idea. But I do want to thank all of our uh, listeners for their support. And obviously, the archdiocese uh, is is not just about the annual appeal. Uh, there are other uh, sources of income and such, and other and the obligations we have for the administration of the archdiocese. And I can say there that uh, we're, we've been very careful to monitor the situation with uh, employees. We're trying to be thoughtful about about their well-being too. I wouldn't be surprised though if, when the pandemic is done, uh, dioceses like ours and and Rhode Island will have to look take a good look at at what we're doing and how much we can afford to do. But it'd be premature to say exactly what that is right now. I will say that, you know, we have been able uh, to maintain. Uh, our payroll for people, uh, uh, thanks in part to that uh, PPP alone that was extended to uh, uh, the archdiocese and to parishes in as much as we are individual corporations. And I have to say too, I don't know if I had an occasion to say this on an earlier program, but you know, I was really quite uh, uh, annoyed and at the injustice of the attacks made on the church in our country for accepting PPP money. The
0: Associated Press article, I believe, you're referring to. Well, that was, yes,
1: yes, and it's been reported perhaps more soberly, but with a little bit of a point to it in some of the local media as well. Um, You know, the church in our country, as we pointed out in a statement that you can find on our our website, the church in our country has all these dioceses and parishes that employ tens of thousands of, of people as well as taking care of our churches, schools, charitable and other welfare organizations. For example, Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese has a lot of employees too. So these people, our employees, work every day to support themselves and their families. They pay their taxes and contribute to their communities as well as carrying out the work of the church. And I don't see anything greedy or unjust about the church accepting this, uh, these funds that were made available to help pay people through this difficult time. And that's exactly what we do. And you know, it's the government is very strict about. It. You have to use that money for that purpose, or you have to return it. So we're we're being scrupulous about documenting exactly uh, how the money was used to be sure that uh, that it's used properly.
0: Well, one one of the things that caught my ire. I was very, very upset with the article by the Associated Press that made it seem as if the Catholic Church in the United States has requested all this PPE funding in order to pay lawsuits because no. of the sexual abuse scandal. Well,
1: that's totally ridiculous. Because if uh, first of all, that has nothing to do with the money. The right. reason the money was apportioned, and it's uh, that would be absolutely illegal. It would be immoral, and it would be confiscated, and you'd be in trouble. PPP money, loans, has to be reported to the government exactly how it was spent and for what purpose. And we are scrupulously using it only for that. And, you know, it is a loan. My understanding is it will be forgiven if you used it for the purposes. I think there, I've heard of parishes that have accepted it, but they intend to pay some or all of it back. Of course, so often in the media and things, things are reported like that that are just nasty and and, uh, untrue and betray a certain animus or prejudice against the Catholic Church. And and of course, not only the Catholic Church, but all religious groups, uh, you know, thank goodness they didn't discriminate and say, well, if you're a religious group or a religious entity or, or a corporation, you, you can't get the, the money. As if your people uh, don't deserve this help that uh, other people are getting.
0: I'm glad to hear that the appeal is is doing fairly well. And this kind of dovetails into the celebration of this coming Tuesday, which is Never Give Up Day. And the pandemic and the unrest throughout the world has many of us feeling down. And on Tuesday, we're encouraged to have a mindset of determination to help us get through all of the difficult challenges that life throws our way, especially during this time. It's about motivating and inspiring ourselves and others. In celebration of Never Give Up Day, we're encouraged to choose to be very, very positive. Do you have any words, Archbishop, or advice on how to stay motivated and positive, especially during these hard times of the pandemic?
1: Well, for a Christian, for a person who's a believer, we know that life is filled with crosses, and we our whole faith explains the mystery of suffering and death and the origin of it and the reason for it as as we it's been revealed to us in the scriptures. And so the point being that we, yes, we do have to carry our cross in union with Christ. but, We also know that the the positive side of that is that Christ is with us, that God is always looking after us, that there is a providence that governs every person's life. And sometimes it's through the difficult uh, things. You know, when I, this year for the high school graduations of our Catholic high schools, I gave a little recorded message and I, I used the motto per aspera ad astra, which is an old Latin saying, you have to go through the aspera, the bitter things, in order to reach the stars, the astra. And I said, you know, for young people, the disappointment of their not being able to graduate as they wanted. And yet, through these bitter things, these difficult things, uh, we are toughened up in our character. And we're, we're, we should be strengthened in our faith. And we can be confident God gives us the grace to reach for the stars. And I think that's true, you know, of all of this. Uh, we have to do our best and not be discouraged. And above all, we have to support one another spiritually, morally, and materially.
0: Never give up day on Tuesday. Good words to celebrate that day, and every day, as a matter of fact. Saturday is the Feast of the Queenship of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In October of 1954, Pope Pius XII established this feast to celebrate Mary's queenship throughout the world, and he commanded that on this day the world should renew its consecration to her. Talk a little bit about the purpose of this feast, Archbishop.
1: Well, you know, the really big feasts in the church often have an octave uh, celebration, like especially Easter, the octave of Easter the following Sunday. The Feast of the Queenship of Mary falls on the octave of the, uh, the the assumption that we celebrate, you know, Our Lady's being taken up body and, and soul into heaven at the end of her earthly life. And, uh, you know, Christ the King and the Queenship of Mary— uh, you know, in a modern democratic republic, we don't have royalty, although we certainly seem to pay an awful lot of attention to royalty uh, in the world. But the notion is still has its validity, uh, particularly with regard uh, to, uh, to the things that pertain to heaven. You know, Christ says, uh, yes, I am a king. The reason that I came into this world was to bear witness to the truth. So Christ's kingdom and kingship is of a different order than this world. And similarly for Mary, as the mother of our Savior, she reigns with him, and uh, not in the same way, because Christ is divine and Mary is one like us in all things but, uh, but uh, sin, uh, and, uh, but, but that she reigns there. What that means in a spiritual sense is not the same as what it means here. But nevertheless, it's a beautiful day to honor Our Lady. I, um, you know, I remember that my home parish in Detroit was Our Lady Queen of Heaven Parish, uh-huh. so I grew up with that uh, title before me. Uh, And uh, I hope that we will all take some time that day to say the rosary and to pray, especially in this time of a pandemic.
0: Well, Archbishop, let's take a look at our Gospel reading on this 20th Sunday in Ordinary Time, the 16th day of August. Our reading today is taken from the 15th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. And after the dramatic presentation of this Gospel, we'll talk with you and, and ask you how it applies to our lives today. And
1: Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and cried. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely possessed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him. Send her away, for she is crying after us. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him. Lord, help me.
0: It is not fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs.
1: Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly.
0: Archbishop, what's going on here? Today's media would probably report on this story with a headline that says, Jesus calls woman seeking help for daughter a dog.
1: Is that, is that what's I shouldn't laugh, to... but yes, I'm sure. I mean, that, that's what the media would probably yeah. call it. Say. Well, uh, yes. Well, you know, interestingly, as you know, I'm also uh, celebrating uh, the TV Mass on this uh, Sunday. So I've had a chance to offer a homily publicly mm-hmm. uh, on or what is being presented here. And I think the point being that in God's plan, you know, at first the Jewish people, they are and remain God's chosen people. God does not revoke his call. Uh, and it, But the point is it was through them that not just for themselves, but for the world salvation would come as the scriptures say salvation comes from the Jews, but not just for them it comes to the world. And similarly, uh, here uh, in Jesus's ministry, his member at one point he said to his disciples, my, my mission is to the house of Israel to the children of, of Israel. Uh, the point being that only after the fullness of Christ's redemptive work would uh, he then, the same Jesus, send the apostles out to all the world uh, universally. But here we have a case where a Canaanite woman, uh, not a Jew, comes to Jesus for a miracle. And at first, Jesus gives her an answer that the apostles and the other Jews would be happy to hear, uh, that it's not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. As you mentioned, you know, yeah. the inference being that she's a, a dog. And, of course, in the Middle East, the dog is a very despised kind of uh, animal. It, it's not considered, I guess, clean or something. Um, and yet, her tremendous faith, rather than turning away, she says, even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the master's table. And this tremendous act of not only humility but of insistent faith wins uh, our Lord's praise. And he says, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you wish. It's a prefigurement of the fact that uh, for the Jewish people particularly who saw themselves as God's chosen and for everyone else in the eyes of God to be, you know, how can we say, almost despised really. Uh, It's a prefigurement of the fact that Christ will come to bring the salvation uh, to the whole world, which was unthinkable really uh, for uh, people at the, uh, Jewish people at that time to imagine that in quite that way. And so what's the lesson for us that we have to, we can't say, well, we're Christians and we're Catholics and that's that and the heck with everybody else. We always, and I mentioned this in my homily, we, you know, St. Paul says, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel, we have to, By our life, by our words, by our example, we have to try to bring to all people uh, the call of Christ to to believe in him, to to faith and repentance, to baptism, to sacramental life. And how sad it is today when so many Catholics are fallen away from the practice of their faith. It's not just bringing it to people who've never heard the gospel or who are not Christian, but even bringing it to our own people to say, you know, sleep or and rise from the dead, as the scriptures say, and Christ will give you light. Uh, come to Mass, receive the Holy Eucharist, go to confession, pray the rosary, offer your prayers. Don't think of your life just in terms of uh, uh, material things and money and this life, but think of the things that last forever. Um, So I think it can be a wake-up call for us all.
0: And I think that you're right on target. Again, this demonstrates the power of faith and what an example that is for us today.
1: Some commentators and I don't know uh, you know, Aramaic or even uh, biblical Greek that well, but they say it's really not dog, but it's more like a puppy, that even the puppies eat f- that f- uh. scraps that fall that it, it sounds a little softer. But I don't know that that makes much sense. It's still a very harsh saying.
0: There's an organization, Archbishop, called the Satanic Temple, which has been around for quite a while, and its members always say it's not a religion so much as a group of rationalists and humanists who make fun of irrational people that believe in God. But recently and very suddenly, the Satanic Temple has begun promoting, as one of its core religious practices, the taking of unborn human lives in the womb. It has embraced abortion as a sacrifice to the devil, calling the killing of unborn children the ultimate offering to Satan. In a social media assertion that that courts need to protect abortion under a religious claim, the Satanic Temple compares abortion to Catholic sacraments, Archbishop. This sounds too outrageous to be true, but it is. The killing of unborn children—the ultimate offering to Satan. Isn't that the truth, though?
1: Well, I think we have to approach this with a certain amount of prudence. You know, uh, first of all, I—I—I'd um, like to believe that people with such uh, a perverse notion and, and so extreme are notwithstanding the amplification that social media can give to groups like that today, I want to believe that we're talking about a very few people that would espouse such a horrible thing. Um, So we have to be careful because you know uh, the church is always uh, on the front line uh, very vocally and in every way uh, trying to protect the life of the unborn, Uh, but we also reach out to the Mothers' uh, perspective, uh, 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 mothers who who feel pushed or compelled or fall or whatever into this, you know, aborting their children, and I I wouldn't, certainly, we can't say that that they, you know, would subscribe to such an awful thing, but we do have to be very careful because it seems to me in society today, one of our great problems is that everything is going to extremes, and Mm -hmm. this would be an example of it. You know, it's frightening to think, too, that then they tried to use the legal system to claim that aborting a child to Satan is a religious uh, right and that the court has to... You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I hesitate to even say it. And again, I, I do want to emphasize that I, I have to believe we're talking about a very extreme, uh, small uh, group. But on the other hand, uh, I I have to... True confessions here. I don't follow the social media about all these things. Uh, I, I mean, I expect people in the Archdiocese... Uh, who advise me on communications and such uh, to alert me to things that, that could be problematic. But I don't, and I'm not condemning the social media per se, a lot of good can be done there. But I also know that there's a lot of craziness and extremism going on there. Absolutely. Where people yeah. make all kinds of claims, uh, sometimes falsely uh, create scenarios that are not true or attack people and uh, certainly attack bishops or the church or other people. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, what is where does this come from? This is not a blessed thing at all. So I think we have to be prudent about our sources and we have to be vigilant and prayerful about really seeking the truth.
0: Catholics in the Diocese of Sioux Falls in South Dakota, as of this weekend, are again obligated to attend Mass in person on Sundays or with the Saturday Vigil Mass. Bishop Donald DeGroote says Catholics in his diocese who are not in high-risk categories for contracting coronavirus will once more be bound by the Sunday obligation, making Sioux Falls the first diocese to lift the general dispensation brought in across the U.S. because of the pandemic. The dispensation in the Archdiocese of Hartford that you have placed in effect is in effect until September 6th. Archbishop, are you considering extending that dispensation?
1: Well, first, let me say this. Uh, you use the word general dispensation. It's only general in as much as every bishop individually did it. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no dispensation that can be granted nationally. It's a diocesan matter. But the other thing is that I do think we have to be discerning here. I was talking to a priest who is out in, I forget what state, in the mi- Midwest, and he was telling me in his diocese There are really, at the present time, almost no cases of coronavirus. Now, this would be a more rural situation, et cetera. So in a case like that, maybe the bishop would make that prudential judgment. We shouldn't assume that what might might apply out in the prairies of the Midwest is the same as uh, Manhattan or Connecticut. But as far as the dispensation, yes, it's been uh, granted the idea because I don't want anybody to have a troubled conscience or something to feel that they're obligated even though there's a danger to them because of their age or health or whatever. I can only say that the the clock is ticking for that uh, date uh, and I am uh, right now uh, considering whether it should be extended uh, or not. I suspect that it will be extended because you know the other problem too is you have to understand if we are only allowed in Connecticut to have 100 participants, or 25 percent uh, of capacity, whichever is smaller, mm-hmm. it would be very difficult to tell people. Now you are in conscience obliged to go to mass on Sunday. Uh, our poor priests would would uh, assume Around the clock. They'd assuming, assuming people mass. would have to, assuming people would would take to heart uh, the obligation, uh, and and go even though they had qualms. Uh, the, how, how many masses would have to be multiplied to accommodate. So, you know, I guess I'm kind of answering my own question. It seems to me that for the time being, I most likely will, unless there are some other changes and circumstance, that I will wind up extending the uh, dispensation.
0: Let me share with you this article. I, I don't exactly know where it appeared. It has to do with the next question that was asked to me. This article goes on to say that the coronavirus pandemic is forcing entire countries to rethink deeply held social norms. Faith leaders are coming up with new ways to reach their communities, with many turning to online platforms to perform rituals. Among the services being offered via new technology are some of the most fundamental customs or rituals, such as baptism. This ritual in Christianity normally involves either sprinkling or immersion in water and signals a special connection between the baptized individual, God, and the religious community. Some churches are now offering Zoom sessions in which a priest or pastor virtually places water on an individual. I read you that as a prelude to the question, and this is why the the questioner put the question to me, because they saw this article, and
1: therefore... Hi, my name is Donna I'd like to have, talk to Father Gastic about my granddaughter, who um, we would like to have baptized. And because of the COVID pandemic, um, some priests are doing them through Zoom. Um, and I was wondering if Father would do that. Thank you.
0: Now, that article that I read to you is probably the reason why this caller, Donna, asked that particular question because she has the uh, the mistaken notion that a priest can baptize via Zoom?
1: Well, I don't know where this originates, and uh, I have to say, if I would be deeply troubled if I thought that any priest thought he could confer any sacrament on Zoom, because you absolutely cannot, and it is totally, completely, utterly invalid. Uh, the, 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 when the pandemic started and we were trying to deal with this, uh, you know, whether it's confession or baptism or anointing of the sick or whatever, there is no such thing. Every sacrament has to be a personal encounter in person, and it cannot be done by any kind of zoom or anything else. And uh, you know, I would just want to tell all of our people that if a priest in this archdiocese were to do such a thing, it is totally invalid uh, and needs to be uh, uh, redone.
0: Not only within this archdiocese, right, but
1: it? universally, there is no no such uh, th- uh, thing.
0: Is it possible? To if the sponsors are not in a state that they can travel to connecticut for the baptism the in-person baptism where the priest actually is with the baby pours the water over the baby's forehead and baptizes the baby is it possible to have sponsors from another state uh have proxies
1: i believe so yes that's always been true even if uh now it's been a long time since I've been a parish priest, and but I, I I'm I'm quite sure that 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 can that can happen yeah. to have a proxy as a sponsor, uh, but that but but that's not the same as uh, doing it online or, no. or Zoom no. or something else. No.
0: Allison from Milford says, "With COVID nineteen on the rise in states such as Florida, Texas, and Arizona, do you worry about having to shut down churches to communal worship again?"
1: Nobody knows. You know, I mean, I'm hoping that in Connecticut, uh, we'll actually be able to increase the number of people who can go to church, because we're doing very well at the moment. But the medical people seem to think that there will be another wave of coronavirus in the fall. You know, so many universities, colleges and such are are planning on a term that ends around Thanksgiving, sending people home because they think that something's going to happen uh, again. And then, of course, there's the question of the vaccine. So I don't know what to tell you, but it's not entirely in our hands in as much as I cooperated and 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 all the bishops did, cooperated with the civil authorities, not because we we had to, but because it was the right thing to do to limit people's contact with one another in church. And similarly, as things get better, we're going to want that to be eased from the civil authorities. But if, again, we get to a situation where Uh, it is a serious health hazard, and uh, it's spreading, then we'll have to take appropriate action again. Until there can be an effective vaccine, I think we're at the mercy of of what is happening, and we have to respond accordingly.
0: Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please?
1: As we celebrate this month the uh, memorial of the queenship of our Blessed Virgin Mother Mary, we ask Heavenly Father at her intercession that we may be given the graces we need to support one another in faith, in charity, in material help as well during this time of a pandemic, especially remembering those who are sick or who are experiencing financial or other ills of great concern to them, that we may be truly be brothers and sisters to one another. And with the help of the prayers of Mary, our mother, we may get through this together as a family of faith. We make our prayer through Christ our Lord Amen. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next week. Until then, stay well, stay healthy.
1: Thank you, you too. Thank you.